in Jesus, you revealed to us the word from the very beginning. And Father, we thank you for that. Now, what we want to ask is that this morning, as we come to your word, the Bible, we want to ask that by your Holy Spirit, you open it to us, cause us to see things we haven't seen. God, give us application for each individual life. What a blessing it is that no matter how many people are listening, there is a specific application by your Spirit to each one. So, Father, we ask this morning that Jesus will be glorified, lifted high, so that all people will be drawn to you. Amen. Well, it's good to see you today. How many of you feel bloated? How many of you had Salisbury steak, mashed potatoes, and green beans? Yeah, that's the good stuff right there, baby. Donna had to make her Salisbury steak with gluten-free breadcrumbs, but we prayed gluten into it. We're starting a new series today. We're going to be in um, John chapter 1 today, and um, I encourage you to turn there. We're talking about the pre-incarnate Christ as we get ready for for Christmas. Isn't it good to have Thanksgiving out of the way so now we can have Christmas? Man, I like Thanksgiving. You can just sit and eat. It's good. But today we're going to be talking about Jesus the Messenger. The one who was sent with something to say. Now, if you have the Version Bible app, I encourage you to turn there, uh, to open that up, and you can find all of the verses that we're going to be using, the basic outline in the Version Bible app, and um, it will have the verses written out for you. But in John 1, 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Three very clear statements. He was in the beginning. This word was in the presence of God. This word was very God. Verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. I was reading Henry Nouwen this past week, his book, The Way of the Heart, on the topic of silence. I deal in words, and um, many years ago, I used to fast every, every Friday from words. You fast from the things that you use, <clears throat> so use food, I fasted from food, but I used to fast from words, and I was reading on silence this week, it said we are surrounded by words. We have a 24-hour news cycle. We have cell phones. We have radio constantly blaring. We have billboards blasting words at us. We have, I'm sorry, words on our walls, for crying out loud. We have words everywhere, including the blather that we hear from ourselves, until words lose their meaning. And it is wisdom to keep in mind the truth of Matthew 12 when it says on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. Oh, my. One, one of my favorite author wrote that an analogy would be God's going to plunk your brain out of your cranium and he's going to plunk it into his computer and hit download. And you're going to get to see it on the screen right there in front of you and he's going to go... For this reason, it's wise to Colossians 4, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. 
You know one of the things that salt does? How many of you ever put salt on a slug? What a terrible person you are. I used to salt slugs all day long. You know what salt does to a slug? What does it do? Makes it shrink up, doesn't it? Let it be seasoned with salt. Shrink them words, baby. What would happen if we had fewer words? Because, I like that passage in Ecclesiastes 6, the more the words, the less the meaning, and who can benefit from that? How does that profit anyone? The more the words, the less the meaning. How many of us have people in our lives, how many of us know someone sitting next to us who uses so many words that we just forget to listen? Oh, wait, you were talking. Yeah, I forgot. And when it comes to words, less truly is more because what is the purpose of words? Ephesians 4 says we're only to use such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Now how many of us are in trouble just from this morning alone? <laughs> and we can say, well, I just have to get things off my chest. And it's, it is eternally right to ask ourselves, are we talking for our benefit or for the upbuilding of others? And if it's for ourselves, then let's admit that we're talking to pleasure ourselves, be, be done with it and What that does is prove that we are either completely oblivious or contemptuous of the needs of those that we're talking to. So we truly should pray, Psalm 19, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth, keep watch over the doors of my lips. So that Psalm 19, that was 141, Psalm 19, so that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart may be what? Acceptable in your sight, O Lord. And what the Father has to say is so precise, it's so succinct, so very to the point that it can be described with nothing more than the singular of word. In the beginning was the word, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And the tragedy of our communication is that it taints and tarnishes what we think about all communication. When you hear politicians making promises, what do you reduce it to? That's just words. When you hear parents making empty threats, what do we reduce it to? That's just words. When you hear a friend promise eternal loyalty, what are you tempted to reduce it to? Just words. And friends, if words have lost their meaning... What does that imply about what we think of Jesus, who is the eternal, the holy, the God word? (laughs) Is he just words? Has he lost his meaning because of our abuse and distrust of words? Let's strip away for a few minutes the, the suspicion of and abuse of words and think about what this passage in John 1 genuinely means. What is the true, the eternal, the forever meaning of word? Did you know it's impossible to think without words? It's impossible to think without words. People who cannot think, who do not have language, do not think. Because you cannot think without words. The very action of thought requires words to be accomplished. And how often we, like Peter, said, not knowing what he said. How many times have you said, oh, I didn't mean that. I wasn't thinking when I said that. Isn't it interesting? You cannot have thoughts without words, but how many words do we have without thoughts? And how many of my words are unthought or thoughtless? 
word is necessary to have thought. And Jesus, listen, Jesus is the thought. If he's the word, he is the thought of God. He is what God thinks about you. That's amazing to me. That is so stinking cool. And I get to know the very thoughts of God. Isn't that what it says in 1 Corinthians 2? You have the mind of Christ so that you can have the very thoughts of God. What does God think of you? And what if the Sunday school answer is correct? What does God think of you? (laughs) Jesus. Sunday school teacher said, what's gray has a bushy tail and collects nuts. Five-year-old said, you know, I know the answer is Jesus, but that sounds like a squirrel. (laughs) But what if Jesus really is the answer? What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a Christian? That's it. What is it? What does God really think of me? What does he think of me? He thinks Jesus. That's what he thinks of me. He thinks so highly of me. He thinks so highly of you that he said Jesus is going to come and he's going to die for our sins. That's what he thinks of us. How much does God love us? Jesus. What is the goal of salvation? Jesus. Jesus is what he thinks of us. But words, listen, words are not for thought only. Now and continued. He talked about the result of this deluge of words we find ourselves drowning in when he said, the result of this is that the main function of the word, which is communication, is no longer realized. Friends, words are not just so that I can sit back and think happy thoughts. Words are for the purpose of communicating, of connecting minds together, of our thoughts being linked with one another. And God had a thought, and his thought was Jesus concerning us. But he's not some stoic who lives in faraway heavens over there and thinks these happy thoughts and then does nothing about it. He takes that thought and expresses it to us in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the thought of God concerning us. And then, in the fullness of time, the thought became the communication of God concerning us. Now, a word is a connecting medium between two minds. I can have a word in my brain, and you are completely oblivious to it, unless I speak that word. And then, in speaking the word, our two minds are connected. We have communication. I have a word in my mind. We've done this before. If you remember what the word was last time, will he use the same word? <laughs> oh, the mystery. I have a word in my mind. You have no clue what that word is, but I'm thinking that word until I say it. You ready for the word? You ready? Floss and noss and the hill of pillification. How many of you are picking up what I'm laying down? Floss and noss and the hill of pillification. You got it? Oh, Oh, that's right. We need to be speaking the same language, don't we? Now, flossinos on the hill of pillification is a stupid word. It's one of those words that 12-year-olds learn so that they can put everyone else into a catatonic stupor, which are also some of those words, right? We had no communication there because we're not speaking the same language. Really, we are. That is English, but it's a totally useless word. doesn't matter at all. But if we want to communicate, we have to speak the same language. And that is why Jesus did not come as a bug. 
He didn't come as an animal. He didn't come as a plant. He didn't come as the sun. He created all of those things, but they are in a completely different realm than what we are in. And for that reason, because he wanted to communicate with us, he had to come like us. In order to communicate with us, he had to speak, to live, to experience just like we do. And that's why it says in Hebrews 4.15, we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize, but one who in every respect has been tempted just like we are, and yet without sin. He knows exactly what it is you're going through. He knows what every one of us have gone through, and it's because of his shared experience. It's because of his communicating with us that the next verse says, with confidence we can draw near to the throne of grace. Because he experienced us, now he invites us to experience him, draw near to the throne of grace. And it is because he has been where we are, he has lived our experience, and he can communicate with us rightly the very thoughts of the language of God, in a, the very thoughts of God in a language that we understand. By the same token, I can, with a single word, link every brain in this building. Any one of us can do this. Anybody can. Any one of us in this building that hears and understands the word, I can have with one word, connect your brain with mine and your brain with everybody else in this room. Now, you ready for another word? You ready? You ready? Here it is. Christmas. Wow. Now, look, some people are going to smile because of the presence. That'll be more in the second service. Some of us are going to groan because of the work. Some of us are going to go back to pleasant memories. What would happen if we took every thought that this group just had around the word Christmas and put it into one package. That would be a pretty big picture of Christmas, wouldn't it? That would be full and well-rounded. We would have communicated. And friends, what God does through Christ is he communicates to us what he thinks about us. Jesus is the word which communicates the thought of God toward us. Now listen, the word is not a what that can be reduced to paper or text. We hear the ding-a-ling of our phone go off. Someone has just sent us a text. And the pleasure center of your brain is activated when you hear that little ding-a-ling. Do you know that? That's why when you hear that ding-a-ling and you're in the middle of a conversation with somebody, you go, oh, wait, just a moment, I have something more important than you. That's why many of us, it's this addiction to words that many of us will check our phone before we check our spouse before we get out of bed in the morning. But the word is not so frivolous that it can be reduced to an emoji. It's not so bloated that filler can be removed and it can be reduced to acronyms. I know, right? What? No? <laughs> the word is a who. The word invaded our existence. The word in communicated a whole other realm in terms we could understand and then invited us to share that realm with him, not in the sweet by and by, but in the good old now and now. And then he tells us in Romans 10, 11, Whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. You put your faith in Jesus, baby, you will not be disappointed. 
does he truly never disappoint or are those just, those just more words? And the tragedy, the answer to that question is that the only way we can answer it before we get to the end and look back is through the lens of faith. My mother lay dying probably 15 hours out. And she said, 90 years. It's gone so fast. She looked back over that time, talked to one of her grandsons, said, follow Jesus, love Jesus. He's all that matters. Boy, wouldn't we like to get that before we get to the deathbed? But he said, whoever ever believes in him will not be disappointed. Doesn't say believes him, though we can certainly believe him. If it is believes him, then it's only the message that he brings. It's only the message that he carries. It is possible to believe a message while rejecting the messenger. The message can arrive intact even if the messenger is tactless. I was talking to a brother in California recently. He said, the validity of a proposition is not affected by the character of the person presenting it. I said, oh, baby, say that again. The validity of a proposition is not affected by the character of the person presenting it. Bill Regan said that. I said, I'm going to attribute to that to you to the rest of my life. He said, oh, I didn't say it. I don't care. If you didn't want it attributed to you, you shouldn't have told me. The message and the messenger are not necessarily the same and are not necessarily consistent with one another. I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you a line. See how you like this one. It says we must live by the three R's, respect for ourselves, respect for others, and responsibility for all we do and say. How do you like that? That's pretty good, isn't it? You know who said that? The Dalai Lama. Are you going to believe in the Dalai Lama? Nice guy, I guess. I don't know. Has a cool haircut. Here's you another one. Integrity and honesty are all that matter in a leader. Integrity and honesty are all that matter in a leader. The, the blooming of that is that everything else springs out of that. Now, do you like that statement? Do you, like, do you want leaders to have integrity and honesty? You know who said that one? Richard Nixon. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Are the message and the messenger consistent? But the message of Jesus was all about him. The words he said were validated by the who that he was. I can believe all sorts of people, but I can believe in Jesus. I can believe all forms of sources, all kinds of sources, but I can believe in Jesus. And friends, the invitation that Jesus extended to his disciples, which includes us, is basically three invitations, three simple commands, and they all revolve around... Thank you. Here are the three commands. Basically, gave us three commands. Number one, come. Come. Matthew 19, 14, let the little children come to me. John 3, 7, 37, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me. John 5, 40, you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Matthew eleven twenty eight. come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's his first command. You got to come to me. Now look, Matthew eleven twenty eight. come to me. Matthew eleven twenty nine says... Take my yoke upon me and learn of me. You cannot learn of him in 20, verse 29 until you've come to him in verse 28. And why is that? 
Because when the message is from God, the messenger validates the message. In other words, the messenger is the message. The message of the thought of God being rightly communicated to humanity could not be entrusted to a mere human. Friends, the communication of the thought of God is so vital, so eternally significant, so timelessly urgent, it could only be rightly communicated by very God himself. Because of that, the messenger is the message. He is the word. And his work in us is to make our lives consistent with his message as well. That's what real life transformation is about. Changing who we are into who he is. God, genuine practical change. God, work in me what is necessary to make me like Christ. And those areas that I'm not, he said in Philippians 3.15, if in anything you're otherwise minded, he'll reveal that to you. Oh, I don't know where I'm not like Christ. Don't worry. Sit back. Buckle up. I believe it was an old Chuck Gerard song that says, the man has become the message, and whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. First command is come. Second command is follow. Follow me, and I will make you fishers men. Follow me and leave the dead to bury their dead. Matthew 16, deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. John 12, 26, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. He did not say, follow others who follow me. Follow others who say they follow me. This is not an invitation into a second or third degree relationship with Jesus. This is an invitation into a personal one-on-one relationship with Jesus Christ. It's it's a command. (laughs) To out of the time spent with him, be able to minister for him. And he invites us to do as he does he says in that next in one of the next verse in John 12 I'm pretty sure it is he said in the the servant will be where the master is he says you follow me you watch how I do this and the servant will be where the master is would Jesus go there to share the gospel would Jesus go there just to live in front of him then it's right to do that not to be sucked in by what's going on there but to bring the kingdom there he said you follow me and whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. The third command, we have come, we have followed. The third one is go. Matthew 28, 19, go. (laughs) Great Galilean ministry was a period in Jesus' ministry. It lasted one and a half years. And most of that time of the great Galilean ministry was spent in Galilee. There we go. It wasn't Jesus that time, was it? Spent in Galilee. Lasted a year and a half, and there were three preaching tours during the Great Galilean Ministry. First preaching tour, he went out with four of his disciples. Didn't have all 12 of them. Second preaching tour, he went with his 12 disciples. The third preaching tour, he went behind the disciples. He said, now you guys go out, and then I'm going to come along behind you, and before you get to the end, I'll have caught up with you. Okay? And here's what he does. He's getting ready to send them out. Matthew chapter 10. But before he does, in 938, he said, I want you to pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into his harvest. I want you to pray. Lord of the harvest, send laborers into the field. Are you praying for laborers? Are you praying for laborers? We ask you to do this regularly. Are you praying for laborers? You want to know the bad news? Here it is. The ones that are praying to, be, to have laborers sent into the field are the very ones he sent in the very next verse. Oh, no. If you're praying, you better be packed, and you better have your passport up to date. Because the very next verse, 
Matthew 10.1, and he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. Now, here's the message he gave down in 10.7. Here's the message. And proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Well, what in the world is that supposed to mean? Well, here's what it means in 11.1. When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. He said, you go and tell them the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and then I'll come along behind you. I'll do the works of the kingdom And when they hear your message and see these works, they'll recognize that I am the king. And friends, the kingdom of heaven extends anywhere that the reign of the king is supreme. Anywhere that the kingdom is, it's because the king is reigning there. Is he reigning in your life? Is he king of your life? Is he in charge of your life? He said, you go to the towns... Tell them the kingdom is coming, and when I show up doing the work, they're going to recognize, oh, the kingdom is the king. The word is the communication. The messenger is the message. (laughs) And friends, to know the king, you must join the kingdom, and to join the kingdom, you must swear allegiance to the king because the kingdom extends as far as the king reigns. And whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. Have you believed in him? Have you accepted Jesus as your Savior as he is in charge? If not, it's as eternal and as simple as, dear God, I'm sorry. I broke your law. I have sinned. I looked you in the face and I said no, and I'm really sorry about that. God, would you please forgive me? And there's a price that has to be paid for that forgiveness. I get it. I I accept that Jesus is the price for that salvation. I don't have to earn it. I can't deserve it. But God, I give you my life. I ask Jesus to take control. I'll do what you tell me to do. And it is as simple and as eternal as that. So these are the three commands. Come, follow, and go. Now, who are they all centered around? Here's our Sunday school answer again. Who are they all centered around? They're all centered around Jesus. Come to me. Follow me. Go for me. Tell them to come follow me. It's called Christocentric. They're all centered around Christ, because he is all that there is. And friends, if Jesus was who he says he was then, then he still is who he was now and will always be who he is because God always is. When, he came, when Moses came to him, he said, who, who sent me? You go down there and tell him what? What did he say? I am. I didn't say I will be. I didn't say I used to be. I am has sent you. He is always is. And friends, if what you worship had a beginning, if it has an end, it is not the God of the Bible. And we worship all kinds of things. A lot of folks worship their cars. I hate to break this to you. That car had a beginning. It's going to have an end. Because the God of the Bible is consistent, unchanging, forever the very embodiment of love all the way across time. Now, let's be careful with that word love. Let's be careful with that. Let's make sure we understand what we're talking about. Because our society has so conflated love with lust that we have substituted every whim for the depth of self-sacrifice and self-denial that love talks about. So we've got to be careful with that. 
the love that Jesus is, I can find no place where Jesus walked around saying, I love you. Never looked at his disciples, love you, bro. What you? Hey, John, yeah, good to see you, baby. I, ne- I cannot find a place where Jesus said to anyone, I love you. Here's what he did. Two things. Number one, he defined it. What is the definition? This is love. No greater love than this, John 15, 13. What? That a man laid down his life for his friend. Now, he defined it. And then, what did he do? He didn't talk about it. He didn't walk around saying, after all the things I've done for you. He didn't walk around trying to convince himself by convincing everyone else that he loved. No, I really do love you. No, no, I really do. No, I think I do. No, I do. He defined it. This is love that you lay down your life for your friends. And then in John 10, 18, he just did it. He said, no man takes my life from me. I lay it down willingly. He just did what it is, and that is what lived. It is self-denial for the benefit of another. Jesus is the very word, the very thought, the very communication of God toward us. And the thought, let's go back as far as we can, the thought he had toward Abraham, the thought he had about Abraham, the communication he had with Abraham, he really liked Abraham, right? Right? Abraham's one of the big guys, right? He's really a super, super Christian, right? He has the same thought. He has the same word. He has the same communication toward you that he had toward Abraham. Well, no, the Bible says Abraham was the friend of God. Do we forget what he said in John 15, 15? I don't call you servants anymore because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but I'm calling you friends because everything the Father has given me, I have made known to you. I'm calling you friends. Friends, the same word, the same thought, the same communication he had with Abraham, with David, with Moses. Pick one, anybody, no matter how super you want him to be, is the same word, thought, communication he has toward every one of us in this building. He has initiated a conversation with us, and that conversation is in the person of Jesus Christ. And now it is right. Listen, your phone rings. Your phone, it's, okay, you ever sit with somebody and their phone starts going off and they ignore it? Let me just drive you nuts. You're going to catch your phone, man. You're going you're gonna to answer your phone. Oh, I don't want to keep them waiting. God has started a conversation with us in the person of Jesus. And the point of that conversation is the cross. What are you going to do about it? What are, you, what are you going to do about it? Jesus doesn't carry the word. Jesus doesn't speak the word. Friends, Jesus is the word. And the conversation, the invitation is to you is, won't you come? Won't you come and believe him? Because whoever believes in him will never be disappointed. Have you believed in him? Have you placed your faith to save in him and in him alone? Not your best effort, not your hardest striving but in his love expressed in his sacrifice, which demands submission to his word. I've been serving God for a long time. Somebody asked me this morning, how long have you been preaching? Well, that's a long time. And in the long run, I have never been disappointed with him. Now, there have been times that I've gone, you know, somebody said God's never late, but he misses an awful lot of opportunities to be early. 
That's the truth. And there have been an awful lot of times where I've been waiting for him, you know, you could be a little early on this one and be okay. I won't tell nobody. And he's not early, but looking back, he has never disappointed. He's been worth it. Jesus is the thought. Jesus is the communication of the Godhead. And whoever puts their trust in him will not be disappointed. You know, Pilate was with Jesus for just a very few minutes. Just a few minutes. The guy who had power, he had the political authority to either execute or exonerate Jesus. He was with him for just a few minutes, and he came out to the crowd, Luke 23, 4, and said, I find no fault in this man. In John 19, 4, he went out again and said to them, I'm bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no fault in him. Friends, there's no fault in him. And whoever believes in him will not be disappointed because there's no fault in him. Have you believed in Jesus Christ? If you'd like to know more about his message, the, the, this messenger who is the message, we'd love to share with you what God's Word, the Bible, has to say about how you can become a Christian. There are going to be folks, some folks standing around the perimeter of the building here. If you want somebody to pray with you before you leave, please, please be sure and catch us. Let us pray with you. And if you'd like to just start a conversation with him, would you be willing to just tell him that? Listen, he's already, he's already initiated it. He's already initiated contact. He had first contact, okay? Now, what's going to be our response? Could we just very simply, in the solitude of our own prayer, just bow now and say, Father, I've read everybody else's text, but I have not read yours have answered everyone else's call but I have let yours go to voicemail I'm really sorry about that Father I would like to have a conversation thank you for initiating it thank you for not turning loose of me and now Father through Jesus I want to talk with you Father I just want to tell you I'm really sorry for the things I've done I'm sorry for breaking your law. I'm sorry for ignoring you. And I want to ask you to please forgive me. And I just confess with as much as I know right now that I want to give my life to Jesus. I receive the forgiveness that he gave me because of the cross. I don't understand it all yet, but God, I want to read the text. Father, thank you for the word, for the communication, for the messenger who is the message, Jesus.